Today, we're going to be speaking to a stock market advisor about what's hot in the market and a few global trends that will affect the ASX in 2024 and beyond. That any advice that is given here is general in nature, and you should seek your own advice before acting on anything that you hear today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our next episode of the Solve to Evolve podcast. Today, we have Mitch Stone with us. Mitch is the founder and director of Invest with Mitch, a share market advice business that helps Australian investors navigate the market and grow profitable share portfolios. Mitch has a background in stockbroking from his time at JP Morgan and has over 18 years experience in share market investing and general market exposure. Welcome, Mitch. Thanks, mate. Cheers. So, Mitch, tell us a bit more about your business, why you started it and what you do day to day. Yeah, good question. So, look, by trade, I'm a stockbroker. However, I've, I've pivoted away from telephone stockbroking into the online space. You know, about 95% of investors buy and sell their shares online these days. So I couldn't really see a long future in stockbroking. And so now I've created a business where I service those online investors. So look, to put it simply, I tell mum and dad investors which shares I believe are going to rise in value. That's very interesting. And does that does that involve a certain degree of like plant portfolio planning and, and helping them actually pick what stocks to buy or sell at any point in time? So look, the level of advice that I provide is general, right? So I don't specifically specifically say, hey, Blocks, you've got to, you should invest 50 grand into BHP and 20 grand into, into the banks. It is a general portfolio. And I guess from what I understand, investors, you can really put them into sort of two categories. You've got your older retired type investors who are looking for dividends, right? Passive income. And then you've got your sort of younger investors who are still working, looking for growth. And a typical client of mine would still be working, looking to grow their portfolio, grow their wealth before they retire. And when they do, well, then they'll probably switch into sort of boring, safe dividend stocks, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. And so you can help anyone along kind of any stage of the spectrum, the age spectrum or the, I guess, the risk preference spectrum. Is that right? Well, look, I can help anybody get started in the share market, but whether my service is right for them is, is I guess, dependent on their risk profile. You know, I, I typically recommend riskier stocks that have the potential to grow, and that's not everybody's cup of tea, if that makes sense. So, yeah, a typical client of mine would be around 40, 40 to 50 years old with maybe $100,000 to invest into the market. Sure. And so you can help people from starting investing all the way through to kind of maybe a bit more down the age spectrum to retirement. Yeah, plan. yeah, absolutely. So the way that my my sales funnel works is I have a free training that teaches people how to buy and sell shares online. Then I talk about some of the current opportunities in the market. And if they like what they hear and they want to continue, well, then I put together a membership package for them to consider. Excellent. So, so moving on to the market now. So yes. how do you see things evolving in 2024? What do you feel are some important trends? What do you think is going to happen? So, look, the, you know, I thought the market was going to crash for so so long, but it just hasn't sort of come. So the ASX at 7,400 points, it's probably where it should be. Look, I can't see the market crashing this year unless the Reserve Bank do something crazy like lift interest rates. But the way inflation's cooling, I think they'll, they'll probably cut two or three times this year and that should support the market. So... You know, I think the the markets will probably rise anywhere between you know, five and ten percent in twenty twenty four. You mentioned interest rates. Yes. 
can you just expand a bit yep. on for the benefit of our viewers who may not be as financially kind of aware as yourself? Generally, interest rates get a lot of coverage in the media. Yes. Can you tell us how does interest rates affect the market, other asset classes, yeah, and the market in, in particular? Yeah, that's a really good question, right? So the Reserve Bank try to – they've got a target range of inflation, right, which is basically the, the cost of, of goods and services. That target range is between 2 and 3%. So if things are rising too quickly, you know, if inflation's at 5% where it is now or, or, or rising, they lift interest rates. And what that does is it, it, it makes the cost of debt more expensive, things like your big-ticket items like mortgages, right, but also personal loans and credit card debt as well. So it affects all sorts of debt. Now, when the cost of debt rises, well, that means less disposable income for, for households and less money in the economy you know, and basically lowers retail sales and consumer confidence. So it's really a lever that the RBA pulls. So how does it affect the markets? Well, you know, if it's interest rates are high, that means a, more, a higher percentage of people's income are going towards paying off debt, whether it be their mortgages because they're more expensive or, or credit card, and people just aren't out in the economy spending as much. But the inverse is true as well. You know, when the economy's not doing so well, the RBA need to sort of stimulate things that so they lower interest rates, and that means that there's more money in the economy and the cost of debt is cheaper and companies can grow. Okay. And there's a lot of things happening around the world at yes. the moment yep. that can affect either interest rates or a trade or whatever it may be that, that may impact on our market. Mm. What do you see are the key things that may happen now around the world that might affect mm. the market going yep. forward? Like what trends are people like yourself who are in the markets, you know, your head's in the market every day, what things are you thinking about and seeing kind of evolve um, globally yep. that you think you're factoring into your decision-making for the advice that you're giving to your clients? So, first of all, you know, I use the top-down approach when I pick stocks. So, I always look for big macroeconomic trends. Inflation is a big one. That's showing some encouraging signs, both here in Australia and the US. I'm confident that the RBA and the Federal Reserve will cut interest rates, right, which should support the markets. But... There are other, other things to look at as well. You know, we've got multiple wars happening around the world, right? We've obviously got one in, in Ukraine. We've got one in, in, in Palestine and, and in Israel. And, you know, things are heating up in, in the Red Sea as well, and that's, that's a big one right now. You know, the Australian share market, it's so driven by commodities and commodity prices, right? So I'll just use the Red Sea as, as an example. So currently... We've got, you know, US warships and UK warships in the Red Sea attacking Houthi, Houthi rebels. It's basically turned the whole area into a, a no-go zone, right? So you've got to think that all of these shipping and, and cargo companies that typically travel through the, the Red Sea, they now long, need to take a longer route, right, and go down the southern end of Africa and around Africa, which adds an extra 10 days to the journey. So not only does that burn more oil, right, and, and pushes up the demand for oil, but it can also add to inflation as well because it causes uh, bottlenecks. So, yeah, there's, there's plenty going on in the world at the moment. You know, wars, are, as tragic as they are, pushes up the, the price of commodities as well. And we saw a, a prime example of that, I guess, when 
when uh, Russia invaded the U- Ukraine, right, we saw commodity prices skyrocket. Coal in particular went from $140 a tonne to $440 per tonne, you know, as the West and, and, and uh, America in particular place sanctions on, Ros- on Russian commodities, coal, uh, gas, oil, and uh, they're looking at adding uranium to that list as well. So it's all tied in. I found that one pretty interesting, the coal price, given the push in the West by uh, to achieve green energy saturation. Mm. Just specifically on like green energy and coal, yep. how, what's the interplay there and how do you think that will play out in the markets this year and, and going forward? Yeah, it's a great question. So we read all these headlines about you know, COP28 and all these global leaders saying that we're, we're moving green and I think there, there is that push. And, but I think that a lot of these leaders like to make these big claims to keep everybody happy. But the fact is the world will burn more coal this year than it did last year. Right? And these energy transitions take a very long time. 64% of electricity that was generated in China last year came from coal. Right? They can't just flick a switch and, and turn it into nuclear power. They're, they're, they are building more nuclear reactors, but this all takes time. So, yeah, the demand for coal is, is actually increasing. You mentioned before that you can service investors all the way through from the, the beginning of their life their cycle yep. to, to the end. And also a word that you mentioned before was risk tolerance. Yes. Can you just explain for, for our viewers what is risk tolerance yep. and how do you kind of gauge that when you have a, a new client come on board? Yeah, okay. So... Shares is, a, is an asset class, right? So you've got a few main asset classes starting with cash, right, in the bank, which is probably the safest because the government guarantees it. Then you've got things like uh, term deposits, which is also government guarantees, very safe, but your reward on those two are quite low. Then you've got another asset class like government bonds, which the government guarantee, also very safe, but the potential reward is quite low. Then if you move up the risk sort of ladder, if you will, you can look at things like property, the Australian, sorry, the Australian property market has returned on average about 7% per annum over the past 40 years. And then even riskier than, than property is stocks. Uh, the Australian share market's returned, I think, 9.1% over the past 40 years. And then a, a, a totally at the extreme end of the scale, you've got things like cryptocurrency as well, which is, you know, it's, it's hard to sort of quantify that because Bitcoin's gone through the roof. So, look, shares is quite risky. But then within the market, you've got your, I guess, your stable blue chip dividend stocks and then you've got your riskier stocks that, you know, are, are, are just sort of starting their journey. So how do I make members aware, I guess, in all of the advertising that I do, the, the top of the, of the funnel, it might be like top five growth stocks for 2024 and that would only attract people that are interested in growth stocks and I think you've got to make it really clear, hey, what you're doing involves risk and not every investment performs as expected. So is it fair to say, Mitch, that the younger someone is, the more risk they can take they on? Can ta- is that, and then yep. conversely, the, the older that they get, yep. you tend to move towards more less risky uh, investments. Yeah, that's right. So do you have kind of a general uh, like age? Is that the same for everyone? Is there age limits or what... What would you what would you recommend to the viewers for maybe based on their age how much they should have in more riskier things versus? 
yeah, the young the young you are, the more risk that you can take on because you're still working and you, you've got time up your sleeve. You know, if we do see a market crash, it might take a few years, you know, three, four, five years for the market to recover. Where if you're, I guess, retired and seventy years old in the in the market tanks, you don't have that time up your sleeve, right? So. When it comes to stock selection, you've really you've got two avenues. You can either buy an ETF, an exchange traded fund, which basically you're buying one stock that buys a little part of the top 200 companies in Australia, and that's probably your lowest lowest risk, right? Because you're not overly exposed to any one company. You're effectively just buying the market, and that's great for people who are passive type investors that that just want to be able to contribute some money every paycheck and grow their portfolio. And it's, it's very hard to, to outperform that. Alternatively, if you're an active investor, that's you know, an area where I may be able to, to help people in, in stock selection. And our goal is to outperform the market. So, you know, and I always look for, for themes in the market right now. There's a big theme in, in energy, right? Crude oil, I think is going to have a big year based on what we said earlier. Uh, there's a big push towards uranium. Uranium's red hot at the moment. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how I do it. So, Mitch, can you list some, some of your hot stocks, some of your favourite ones? Yes. Uh, without giving any specific personal advice to the viewers, this yep. is general advice only uh, for discussion here. Mm. But can you list some of your kind of hot, uh, maybe more riskier stocks and then maybe some some of the more ones down the other end that just uh, kind of plod along. and Yeah, sure. So what I can do is give you a, a super risky stock, a, I guess, a medium risk stock and, and a low risk dividend sure. stock. Does that, does that work? Yeah. Do you want to start? <laughs> yeah, what sure. do you want to start with, the low risk or the super risk? Uh, let's dive right in. Let's go for the, the big one, the super risk. The super, okay. So there is this biotech company that I really like at the moment. Right, it's called Imugene, and the code is I M U. Imugene develop cancer treatments. All right, and it, I'm of the opinion the bigger problem, the bigger the problem the company can solve, the higher the reward. It's not too many problems bigger than cancer treatment, right? Sure. Now, when it comes to cancer treatment, and I'm no doctor, but this is from from what I understand, there's typically if you get cancer, there's typically two lines of treatment. You've got your chemotherapy and radiation therapy. And that doesn't always work, right? Sometimes it fails. So what Imugene are doing, they're developing a, uh, I guess it's an onclitic virus, right? Basically a man-made virus that is, de- that is designed to select and, and kill cancer cells, if that makes sense. So if, you've, if you get cancer, you go through chemo, if that fails, well, then you might be eligible to try some of Imugene's products and they're developing this brand new therapy called CF33 vaccinia, which is in phase one. So if you want to be able to sell a drug or a therapy in the world's biggest market, the United States, you need what's called FDA approval. And there's typically three phases, phase one, phase two, and phase three. Phase one is, is treatment of a small group of people, typically around 30. And the goal of that is to Determine whether your tra- that treatment is safe and and works. Now they've just completed phase one, and eighty six percent of the I think it was thirty eight people they tried showed a stable or a, a stable disease. So basically, their cancer has pretty much stopped. 
one complete response in what's called bile duct cancer, which is uh, a notoriously hard cancer to treat. So, look, they've got a, they've got a pipeline of of multiple drugs, but this is this CF thirty three vaccine here is one that stands out so much in in fact that the FDA have just granted them what's called fast track designation, and they very rarely do that. Only if you know it's it's only if a company is developing something that can't be solved anywhere else. And uh, so, you know, watch this space on, on Imogen. It's high risk. The chances of of FDA approval. I mean, in the world of biotechs. Nine out of ten companies seem to fail, but the ones that get through make billions and billions and billions. So, and so is that is that an Australian company? It's an Australian company. Yes. That's a great story too. Yeah, yeah, it's it, fantastic. It and this is this is uh, new news as well. These results only came out a couple of months ago. So if I was an investor and I had a high risk profile, I might want to consider putting some money into into Imugene. And the way that I would start is I would. First of all, obviously open a share trading account through, you know, Comsec or I use a company called Stake, S-T-A-K-E, had a good experience with. And then you just type the the name of the company into that platform or the code, which is I-M-U. And then you basically just go through and look at the company's ASX announcements and just read what I've just discussed and some of their presentations. But really exciting stuff. But once again, it's it's high risk because... Any company that's that's still well, Imogen isn't cash flow positive, right? You know, it's got about a hundred million dollars in the bank, and because they don't have any FDA approvals, they're not selling anything. They've got a burn rate. I think the burn rate is about it's about twenty million dollars a quarter, right? So they're burning money quite quickly, and they will need to raise money to you know to to before they eventually produce. But it's a journey and this is a company that I like the story and comfortable sort of being with them from the start. Sure. So that's the risky stock, okay? It's really risky, <laughs> but it could be really rewarding. Right. Okay, so that's one end of the scale. In the middle, a growth stock that I like at the moment, I mean, it's really hard to look past uranium. Uranium is red hot right now. Right. So if you don't know what uranium is... Yeah, can you just explain a little about a little bit about what uranium is? And I've also we've also I've also heard a lot about what might interest some of our viewers. What is lithium as well? Lithium, so, yeah. And what's the difference between the two? What do they do? And yep. does, does can our viewers possibly, if they wanted to, if they wanted to seek advice and go and do that, could yes. they invest in either of those commodities on the Australian stock exchange? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the good news about Australia is you know, they call us the there's a book written in 1964 by a gentleman called uh, Donald Horn called The Lucky Country, right? And it's talking about Australia and how we're lucky because of our vast natural resources. And he actually wrote that book, book ironically. But it, it, it's true. We've got so many amazing commodities in, in Australia that our, we can our offer. Our land them. abounds in nature's gifts. It's, 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 it's true. <laughs> it's true. We've got everything. We've got lithium, iron ore, coal, gold. We've got everything, which is amazing. So lithium and uranium, let me just sort of give you the, the, the 30 seconds on lithium, then we'll talk about uranium, and then we'll talk about this dividend stock. So lithium, it was so hot in 2021 and, and 2022, and it just sort of plummeted in 2023. So, Why is that? Why did it so well, first of all, what is lithium? It, it's the key element that's used in electric vehicle batteries to, to store the energy, right? So electric vehicles typically run off lithium-ion batteries. There was, a, there was a crazy demand 
in 2021 and 2022 that sort of ended in 2023 at a time where supply was was really tight. There was only a few lithium mines operating. So basically the, the price of lithium hydroxide, which is the refined stuff that it's like 99% pure, it's battery grade lithium that trades over in China. To give you an idea of how crazy things got, the price of, of lithium in China went from 100,000 Chinese one per tonne to 600,000 Chinese one per tonne in a matter of 18 months. The high was in 2022 and since then it's fallen from 600,000 all the way back to 100,000. So we've seen this huge bull market and this huge bear market. Right. So why? Is that the question? What happened? Yeah, I'm just listening. I, yeah, well, how did this How did this go? So it went from 100 to, to 600, 600 yep. and back down to 100. What yeah. was so, like, the, the largest market for, for lithium or for electric vehicles is China. And we're talking about sort of pollution before. And China is getting serious about cleaning up their, their pollution. So they introduced this tax break that lasted for 13 years and it ended at the start of 2023, January 2023, whereby if you bought an electric vehicle in China, the government would give you a rebate. And that was a significant rebate. I think it was worth about uh, four or 5,000 US dollars equivalent in China's one, of course. So basically what happened, that, that that tax break ended at the start of last year, 2023. So there was this huge rush in demand for people to buy their electric vehicles before before those tax breaks ended. Right. right? So a spike in demand at a time where there was very few lithium mines in operation. I think there was about six or seven lithium mines worldwide actually in production. So the price basically went through the roof. Now what happened, start of 2023, there was a lot of electric vehicles and batteries had been produced. Those tax breaks ended. The, the Chinese economy, it, it never really recovered post-COVID, so people stopped buying electric cars and there was just plenty of stock on the market, batteries and, uh, and electric vehicles. So last year, 2023, and more so it, it included at the start of this year, 2024, the price of lithium has plummeted 82%, well. right? Because there's been more lithium mines have come online at a time where there's plenty of stock available. And, and some of those mines are in Australia. Most of them are, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, well, we produce lithium spodumene in Australia, which is the stuff that comes out of rocks. And over in America and South America, it comes out of the water called, called brine, right? Look, it's gotten to, it's gotten to, to such... Is the, the Australian spodumene more high, high quality than the, the brine? Well, lithium's an, an, an element. So this, the, the stuff that we get here in Australia is of the highest quality, yes. Right. Yep. You can get some really high-quality stuff out of the brine as well. It's, they're just two different methods of extraction, right. essentially, is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. But is lithium dead is the question? No, it's not. So, I mean, if you look at the growth rate of electric vehicles last year in, in America, it, it surpassed uh, a million units which is a 50% year-on-year increase. It's still growing in China, just not as quickly as it was. Plenty of demand uh, for electric vehicles and lithium. So I don't think lithium's dead. And in fact, I, I foresee a new bull market happening rather soon. The, the, the price of lithium has gotten so low where the producers that are at the higher end of the cost curve are not profitable and they start shutting production. They start mothballing their mines. We've seen that recently with Core Lithium. Right, who produced at about nine hundred dollars per ton 
for lithium spodumene, and that's currently where it's sort of being sold for at the moment. So they've said, right, for the wet season, because they're up in Darwin and it rains over this, this time of year, we're just going to mothball production. And what I think is other companies at the high end of the cost curve will do the same thing. So okay. basically there'll be less lithium on the market. All of the stuff that's produced in China, they're high-cost producers, they will shut down production. So the market will naturally correct itself. So let's move on to the other uh, element now, the yes. uranium. Yes. Can you explain a bit about uranium and yes. how, how the viewers, if they choose to, or might want to look it up online, do a bit of research mm. about uh, Australian ASX listed companies that they can invest in, in that deal with uranium? So uranium, it's so hot right now. Uranium in 2024 is kind of like lithium in 2022. It's the talk of the town that's made headlines. So what is uranium? Well, it's the stuff that fuels nuclear reactors, right? U308. And I think there's been a big push towards uranium ever since that huge spike in coal prices that we are talking about earlier, where the world's realised that they really need to sort of diversify their, their energy sources. You know, uranium, there are believers out there that it could hold the key to climate change, right? It's, it's clean, it's reliable, it's secure. No one's going to steal uranium, right? And it's relatively cost effective. So there's 400 nuclear reactors in operation around the world right now. A further 60 are being constructed. Out of those 60, 32 of them are over in China. Right? So they're getting deadly serious about turning, turning to, to, to nuclear power generation, which is fantastic. Now, very limited supply. So the price of any commodity is driven by supply and demand, right? So supply is ticking up because more and more nuclear reactors are, are coming online at a time where demand is is being hampered right so this it takes so it can take up to 10 years to get a uranium mine in production right so demand's picking up supply is quite tight at the moment and that could be further exacerbated shortly if the US start placing sanctions on Russian uranium for some reason Everything else Russian has been sanctioned, coal, gold, their payment system, but uranium has not been. But the Biden oh. administration is looking at placing sanctions on that shortly, so that would mean less Russian uranium, and they're the world's top producer, less uranium on the market and a further you know, spike in prices. And another interesting thing that I've, I've seen happen recently, I think the, the higher the price goes, the more headlines that we see. So then investors, especially retail investors, we get excited and and what people are doing is, is they're, they're investing in exchange-traded funds, physical uranium ETFs, right? And there's this company called Sprott, they're S-P-R-O-T-T. They're probably the, the biggest physical uranium ETF in the world. The more that people buy this ETF, the fund manager physically needs to go out, buy uranium and store it as well. So there's a lot of speculation happening at the moment. And the, the, the price at the time of this, this podcast is about, about $100 per pound of uranium. So, you know, it's, it's, the prices are just, just going through the roof at the moment. I don't think it's going to be sustainable long, time, but long term, but I, um, I see it moving much higher this year. So, Mitch, that was really interesting about uranium. Yep. Can you give us maybe your top uranium pick at the moment for an ASX-listed share that the viewers might be interested in? Certainly. So my top i mean we've got a few amazing companies to choose from boss energy in in, in south australia is a fantastic company with a great boss, S boss, boss boe that's great okay. they've recently entered production as well and should be cash flow positive this quarter however boss is not my top pick my top pick is paladin energy right which trades under the code pdn so who are paladin what do they do well they 
have bought 75% of the Langer Heinrich mine in Namibia. Now, this is a restart mine. And I know what you're thinking, Namibia, Africa, is that a good place to buy uranium? <laughs> Stable jurisdiction, labor is relatively cheap and there's an abundance of uranium. So Paladin, a few years ago, when the price of uranium had really bottomed out, came in and they purchased 75% of this Langer Heinrich mine. Now, the reason why I like it is because it's just a restart mine. It has previously been in production for about 10 years, sort of 2007 to 2017. During that time, the Langer Heinrich mine produced 43 million pounds of uranium at an average cost of $25 per pound. So we know that there's plenty of uranium there, relatively low-risk project because they're just restarting it again. This company, Paladin, is scheduled to go into production this quarter, Q1 2024. So they're in a prime position to capitalise on the current high prices. I would fully anticipate that they will be able to produce at about 20 to 25 US dollars per pound and sell it on the market, which is currently fetching about $100 per pound. So Paladin PDN is my top pick. No debt, fully funded, market cap of about $3 billion. So, you know, still got room to grow as well. Plus, they've just picked up 100% of another uranium mine in Canada. So when this one runs out, they can look to get Canada up and running and open. Can we now move on to the boring stock? Yeah. And why is it boring? And yep. when would you typically recommend this to a client? Okay. So well, the, the boring stock, it's not actually boring. It's, uh, in my opinion, it's quite exciting, but it's, a, it's a, I, I guess... Mature. Mature <laughs> is the word, right? So <laughs> it is in the coal space, right? Uh, I think the price of coal has bottomed out at $130 per tonne. Uh, my top pick is Whitehaven Coal. And it's not everybody's cup of tea, right? There's a lot of ethical investors out there that won't touch it, especially of the super funds, and I respect that. But Whitehaven is just a, a, a cash-generating machine. They had their quarterly results this morning, and they were very, very strong. So, you know, at the moment, the price of – and there's two types of coal, I guess, is probably the, the best place to start. You've got your thermal coal, which is used to fuel power plants, then you've got your coking coal or metallurgical coal that's used in steel making. Okay, so Whitehaven Coal at the moment, I mean, they had the quarterly report this morning. They were able to sell coal for about 200, 215 Australian dollars per ton, and the cost of production was it was about one hundred and fifteen dollars per ton. So, really healthy margins. They were able to produce last quarter three point seven million tons. And they've got $1.5 billion cash in the bank. And what does that equate to? Big fat dividends for shareholders. So rock solid balance sheet, making plenty of cash and paying a lot of that out to, to shareholders. So that would probably be my top pick if I was retired looking for a source of income. something. And for some reason, it's trading on a price to earnings ratio, a P multiple of two, which is ridiculously cheap, right? Wow. Uh, so... Uh, I think that it is so cheap. What is the ticker, the symbol for Whitehaven on the ASX? WHC. WHC. And I think the reason why it's so cheap is because the big super funds won't have it in their portfolio because it's coal. Right. If you're a retail investor and it doesn't bug you that they're coal producers like myself, it's easy. Easy money, I think. Mitch, so there are a lot of scams going around in financial markets and seldom a week goes past where we don't learn of a new one. Uh, one that comes to mind is the Melissa Caddick oh, scam. Yes. 
Uh, but there are other ones that have been going around for you know, years. You go all the way back to Enron. You go to Bernie Madoff. There's been a lot of scammers operating mm. in a kind of stock market settings. Yeah. How do, how do our viewers, when they're going to invest in the share market, how do you avoid getting ripped off ripped off or getting yeah. scammed how can you kind of sidestep those potholes general rule of thumb rule of thumb is if it sounds too good to be true right it's, it's it is like it's it's not true anything that you see on facebook that promises like a like an ipo an initial public offering i've seen one going around now spacex this spacex pre-ipo it's a scam i can tell you now that elon musk doesn't need Barb from Wollongong's $10,000. So, look, that, that's your, your first red flag, anything that says initial public offering, especially with an American company because it's illegal anyway to advertise an IPO. What If people are promising high returns, automatic scam because you can't – you're not – also you've got to – to provide a financial service in Australia, you need to be registered with ASIC. You need an AFSL. So I would ask for their AFSL number. I would head to the ASIC website and I would verify that they're actually licensed to provide advice. And a, a really easy way of checking is just to go to Google and just type in the name of the company and check their reviews because if people have been scammed, they're going to write a negative review. So that's what I would do. I'd stay clear of anything IPO-related. I would stay clear of anything that promises you high returns like AI trading. That's all. It's all a scam. Uh, I would check the Google reviews and I would ask for their AFSL number and I would go to the ASIC website and I would just do an advisor search and make sure that they're, that they're registered because there are plenty of scams going around. I hear them – a week won't go by where I haven't heard of somebody getting ripped off. And, it, look, it sucks. It makes my job difficult very difficult because people that don't know me automatically assume that I'm a scammer and it's just the way it is. It's the world that we live in at the moment, but there are genuine advisors out there, but you just need, as an investor, you need to do your research and, and it'll only take a minute. Mitch, this has been such an informative session. I really want to thank you for your time. It's been fantastic. I've learned so much. Thank you. And for the viewers out there who want to continue the conversation with sure. yourself, yep. how, can, how can they reach out to you, get in touch with you so that they can maybe talk to you? Yeah, not a problem. Look, I'd be more than happy to allocate some time to anybody that has any further questions. All I need to do is go to my website, investwithmitch.com or Google Invest with Mitch. It'll come up. And on the homepage, there's a button that says book a call. It's that simple. Mitch Stone, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Cheers. I appreciate it.